You are now listening to the people of digital marketing with your host, me, Kenny Soto. This podcast is your source for marketing strategies, tactics, and most importantly, career advice from the best digital marketers in the world. From B2B to B2C, startups to Fortune 500 companies, and everything in between, I interview experts in marketing so that we can grow to become better marketers together. If you're a marketer who wants a leg up in this space, well, guess what? You're in the right place. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, And then further to that from the distribution, as as we were talking about earlier, making it easy for people to get the information that they want without putting all these barriers up, without you putting all these barriers up. So what I mean by that is not gating your content. (laughs) Essentially, the only thing you want to gate is demo form or something like that. And the demo form being an actual value demo, not just, you know, a video sat behind something that then needs further qualification because you really want to um, tell people a story, sell people a story, sell people uh, a lifestyle and a vision of your brand, and then get them to come to you when they're ready to come to you. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the People of Digital Marketing podcast with your host, Kenny Soto. On this episode of the podcast, we have Christina Patrick, who you just heard a moment ago. Now, who's Christina? Christina's love of marketing started during her undergraduate days, where under the wise guidance of her grandmother, she decided to do a marketing and management degree and hasn't looked back since. Having held various roles in marketing in different sectors, managing teams of different sizes, she is now the head of marketing at Paid, a UK tech startup that is changing the way procurement teams work with smaller suppliers, making the process more efficient and cost-effective for both parties. In her words, she is excited about the opportunity for marketing to shake things up and deliver real value. Always in learning mode, Christina also holds an MBA and she likes to keep up to date on what is going on in marketing and other things that interest her. She also runs Ara and Obi, which is a bedroom and bathroom linen brand for babies and toddlers with eczema. When listening to this episode, if Christina makes a mention of paid, Just remember that she's referring to her company and not paid media or ads. I hope that helps clarify anything because when I was editing this podcast earlier, that was one thing that I got confused with a little bit. And as far as what we discuss in this episode, it's really an overview of both her philosophies around B2B marketing, how marketing can actually help sales and help a company grow revenue as well as, and this might be controversial for some, especially if you're a listener who is using this right now for their work, why MQLs and lead scoring in general actually isn't effective for a marketing team and a company overall and for the sales team. And then lastly, we also go into what the CEO actually cares about when it comes to the marketing team and what they're doing, as well as what's the right way to create a marketing team from scratch which is a topic that I cover many, many times with other guests, and I like her take on her approach. And without further ado, if you're interested in learning more, let's dive into this interview with Christina Patrick. Hi, Christina. How are you? Hi, Kenny. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, And I'm really well, thank you. Really excited to have today's chat. Likewise. And for anyone who 
can't pick it up from your accent. You are not based in America, correct? I am not. That is correct. <laughs> I, I am in the UK. Um, I live in a county just north of London called Hertfordshire. So still still south, but not London. <laughs> Perfect. So now that we got that out of the way, I wanted to get a better sense, not only for myself, but also for the audience on who you are as a professional. So this is a digital marketing podcast. And my first question for you is how did you get into the world of digital marketing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know how far back you want me to take it, but essentially at university or, or college, as you guys would say in the States, I did a marketing and management degree. At the time, I wanted to run my own business. So I knew I needed to do management. And there was a conversation with my grandma that said, well, if you're going to run your own business, you need to learn how to market yourself. So you should do marketing as well. <laughs> and that's kind of how I fell into marketing. Um, and then it just so happened when I was actually studying it, all the kind of management slash business degree um, or courses weren't, weren't so interesting. And I just fell in love with everything marketing. Um, and then so I decided so that was the route that I wanted to go down professionally. So my first job was in sales, quickly moved into um, head of international campaigns. Uh, that was for a sort of small tech company um, in the northeast of England that were then acquired by a massive US company called Turnitin. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's like a uh, plagiarism prevention tool. Um, so most colleges and, and and you know even high schools, you know, use use that platform. They they run students' work through it. So um, yes, I was the international campaigns manager for them. I kind of created the role or had the role created for myself, and that was like my first foray into marketing, which solidified the fact that I absolutely loved it and wanted to kind of go down that path. And then maybe more so in a generalist role than specifically to digital, because I. Um, like to kind of get a bit of a feel for for everything, um, and that's kind of how my how my journey started, really. Can you give more context into what you're doing today, exactly? Yeah. So um, fast forward many many years <laughs> since then, I am now the head of marketing for a UK tech startup called Paid, um, and Paid essentially is a procurement automation or a buying automation tool. For, um, for small suppliers. So if you're a large enterprise is buying from small suppliers, you know, photography services or for a team shoot or an event that, you know, the marketing team wants to put on internally. Um, we help enterprise, you know, work with those sort of small suppliers, get them onto their systems and pay them really, really quickly. So it's typically a, a long cumbersome process. That area of procurement is that we specialize in is called tail spend. But we're like making it really cool <laughs> and fast and easy for people to to do and, and kind of like save them time and money and, and all that good stuff. Now, you mentioned earlier that you like to take the generalist approach. And I've had guests both talk about how they prefer to be a generalist. Others prefer to specialize because that's helped them become a marketing leader. Why can you dive a little deeper as to why you decided to be a generalist? Yeah, so I think I've always, my route or in my head, the path I've wanted to go has always been, you know, CMO, sort of CEO route. And and even when it came back to, you know, if you recall, I said I wanted to have run my own business. I think to be able to give more than just your area, you need to 
know more about just your area (laughs) so in the marketing kind of context and sphere and have an understanding not even necessarily like super in depth for me I wanted to go as in depth as I could to all the different facets of marketing so digital brand CRM you know analytics uh, customer um, product you know social which which may kind of sometimes fall into digital like what the whole web world looks like to really understand like what the engine is to then be able to either work with the different areas or to create a kind of like a wholesome view of how marketing can help contribute to the business goals and the business objectives and I think even if you are you know anyone listening is on a specific you know kind of like marketing pathway where you add value to your leaders is by having an understanding of where your kind of area of specialty sort of like sits within the broader marketing function and and how it can help. Um, So I think it's very important to kind of like have that general scope. Tying into the world of B2B marketing, I have a couple of questions I want to ask you because I'm currently in B2C and I used to work in B2B, but you know, it doesn't hurt to uh, get some refreshers, if you will. So my my first question here in, in the world of B2B marketing would be, how can B2B marketing teams, marketing departments really create demand for sales? Certain teams focus specifically on demand generation and paid. Others focus on content specifically. What levers do you pull in your team to generate demand? It's uh, 100% a mixture of both. I'll split it into two. So the paid sort of side is more the, the distribution, which is key. Um, personally, at, at where I am at the moment, at paid, we're focusing on, on, on LinkedIn because it's where all our audience is for sure and guaranteed. But the content element of it is 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 so important because that's what is actually creating the demand, right? Like what you're saying to people and how you're messaging and how you're resonating with them. And in terms of how B2B do it, I I always sort of say in my thinking and when I'm working with the design team, et cetera, is, you know, be more B2C (laughs) in terms of the kind of stuff that we're creating and the kind of approach that we're taking to things. I think from a content perspective in B2B, we, we often are maybe a little bit like stuffy and not necessarily so creative, which people kind of get used to and like you end up then getting lost in the source or lost in the feed as it, as it is in LinkedIn because everything kind of like looks the same, sounds the same. It's the same kind of like one, two, three punch setup in the content, but taking a really different approach to it, focusing on a specific area of, of content I and mean, also giving real value. I mean, one of the things that I'm really focused on and key on us doing is we do have the kind of traditional, here's the paid, here's the platform, here's what it does. But even within that, we're using our team to talk about it. So like the product guy is doing videos about the product. <laughs> our customers are doing videos about, you know, their experience with it. And it's not just the bog standard, you know, buy this, this tool does this, that and the other. Uh, but also we have kind of spun off a, a completely separate branch. Under the, under the umbrella of what's in your long tail, which is also the name of the podcast that we run, which is specifically actionable insights that are given by a subject matter expert that we have in-house that people can kind of then take and then use and implement. Find oftentimes as well in B2B, it's a lot of um, 
clickbaitiness that goes on. <laughs> you have a title, you want to grab it, like, oh, that might be interesting. And you click it and read it. It's like, well, that was a whole load of nothing. Um, nothing that's interesting to me. Um, and if anything, what you often find is other marketers downloading this kind of things to see what other people are saying, um, as opposed to, you know, your maybe your, your, your ICP. So I think definitely, you know, being more creative with what it is that you, with how you create your content and also being really specific about what it is that you're wanting to say. Uh, and then giving the value. Uh, and then further to that from the distribution, as, as we were talking about earlier, making it easy for people to get the information that they want without putting all these barriers up, without you putting all these barriers up. So what I mean by that is not gating your content. <laughs> Essentially, the only thing you want to gate is demo form or something like that and the demo form being an actual value demo not just you know a video sat behind something that then needs further qualification because you really want to um, tell people a story sell people a story sell people uh, a lifestyle and a vision of your brand and then get them to come to you when they're ready to come to you give them access to whatever it is that they want let them do their own kind of qualification without you putting barriers in, in place for them to, to make that happen and then when they do come to you, they're, they're, they're warmer, as it were. <laughs> um, and you don't have to then, you know, go through a whole funnel of getting like hundreds and thousands of MQLs in because someone's, you know, downloaded a webinar or whatever the metrics are uh, that you then get passed on to sales and sales can't then close. So, yeah. You, you mentioned, and I would agree, a mistake, something to define as a mistake here would be gating your content or gating a large majority of your content. There are also mistakes that I think you might be privy to and, and you might see out in the marketplace when it comes to go-to-market strategy. Could you elaborate on your specific approach? You've already touched on it a little um, when it comes to go-to-market strategy. And can you also comment on some potential mistakes B2B brands might be making right now when it comes to their own go-to-market strategies? Yeah, so I think that the key thing in all of this really is understanding the value that you give and that you have and then getting other people to kind of tell, tell that story for you. I think with large companies and with small companies, we're often going at it from a what do we do? What can we give? What can we bring approach and perspective? And we're kind of pushing our voice and pushing our narratives and like hundreds of companies do that. That's kind of like the bread and butter of how things have been. But I think now we're in a world where people do get so much more access to their own information themselves and they can make their own informed decision from that within their peer network. It's really important to sort of spend time with your customers or with your prospects, you know, go to events, go to meetings, attend webinars and listen to what, what people are saying and get their input as well as like what their challenges are to help form your go-to-market strategy. That's one of the things that we do really well, I think, at Paid is we spend so much time with our customers, so much time with our prospects, um, you know, from the sales team to the customer success team to me and marketing to really, really, really understand what it is that the needs are. And the business case, because it may differ from person to person, you know, they make you aware of things that you didn't know about beforehand as well. So a lot of the messaging that we kind of create our, you know, campaigns or content around is exactly what we've heard from people. And it's not a lofty um you know, do this and, you know, spend money and, you know, save time and do things that matter most. You know, whenever I see a 
you know, focus on the things that matter most. And then there's no like further qualification as to what matters most means or what matters most actually is. It's an indicator that, you know, the person creating that doesn't necessarily know. And, you know, it's just marketing speak to go ahead and do something. So I think that's really, really key is a real in-depth understanding of the pain point that the customer has. And and like I said, if, if you can't actually access your customers, that's fine. Um, but there's a lot of places where you can go to, you know, whether it's Slack channels or forums you can attend or conferences. You know, the last couple of years, there's been lots of virtual conferences so you can get access to and get a pass to and just listen to what people are saying. And then when you speak to prospects as well, really listen to what it is that they're saying. Uh, and then you can like form your, your GTM around that. Okay, it may be different by territory, it may be different by vertical as well. Um, but that's definitely the, the, the best way I think that one should go about doing that. And, and some of the areas where I guess marketers could hone it in a little bit better, especially in B2B. Speaking of pain points, uh, before I ask my next question, I definitely want to do a plug to this tool called SparkToro. If anyone hasn't used it already that's listening to this podcast, definitely check them out. Um, the former CEO and founder of Moz, Rand Fishkin, has teamed up with Amanda Natividad, who's the VP of marketing for SparkToro. And it's an amazing market research tool that you can use. I've been using it recently at um, the car insurance company I'm working at right now to do customer discovery because for valid reasons, I can't just go and survey a thousand people, take too much uh, manpower and resources to do that. But now there are tools like SparkToro and I'm sure there are a bunch of other alternatives out there that you can leverage to do that initial customer discovery and a technique, not necessarily a tool, but a technique that you can do to identify pain points as well is creating podcasts and using a podcast to interview your ICP and literally ask them on the call, uh, describe your business, describe how it differentiates, differentiates itself within the market, talk about pain points within the interview itself, weave it into the content. And not only are you creating content to then get more brand awareness, at the same time, you're doing customer discovery, customer research, and then you can leverage that to further enhance your, your messaging. And I, I thought of those two things when you were giving your answer. So I definitely wanted to just plug those two there yeah, and I, I, so just just to add I, I would definitely echo that on the podcast as well we're doing exactly the same thing again though we're, we, we are I'm very clear in the positioning of it as we're not trying to sell paid we're literally actually just trying to push the conversation on tail and tail spend it's an area of procurement that is you know like that family member that you don't like to speak about like you want to they're there or the thing you want to sweep under the rug and you know we conducted a survey not too long ago just like a general survey I forget the name of the tool that we used and it was you know how important is, is tail spend for you we went to procurement pros very important you know do you want to fix it within you know what kind of time frame and like 80% of our things like I think it was about quite a thousand people so not massive but you know it was still a, a, a UK study of senior procurement pros 80% so they wanted to get it sorted within the next six months so it's the kind of thing that is big and is huge but is also so big and so huge that no one kind of like knows where to start with it just why it gets swept under the rug and so again just just to you know echo your point you know we've interviewed lots of people on series one of our podcasts series two is about that has launched um, recently as well and it's about getting involved in the conversation and hearing and learning and being an extension of community so you know not everyone can participate although we are starting to change that now with some live sessions 
but people you have that as an opportunity to hear and again whether you host your own podcast or you listen to other podcasts as well where people are talking about the challenges in your area I think it's really key yeah that's another thing to highlight like you don't need to set up the podcast yourself if your competitor has already done it you can literally leverage their content to get those initial pain points and then if you want to do your own podcast you can do it as well but just know that there are other people like this isn't an original thought like it probably was back in like 2017 but now everyone's doing this in the b2b space so you can leverage other people's content to do that initial customer discovery too yeah and the, the key thing is just make sure you're delivering actual value whatever it is you do it on or whatever approach you take just deliver real real value <laughs> yeah because people remember interactions and that can either help your reputation or tarnish it over time if you're not too careful now you mentioned something earlier in this conversation that i think is important to highlight because you probably aren't the only person who thinks this way now but there are still a lot of people who are in the camp of we need more mqls we need to justify marketing spend using mqls all marketing tactics have to tie back to MQLs and lead scoring is the way that we're going to justify our success rather than actual tangible metrics like increase in pipeline or increase in revenue and profit. So my next question for you is what are your thoughts on lead scoring and does the lead scoring model scale successfully over time? <laughs> oh, that's a very good question. <laughs> and I laugh because that's it's kind of like a, a wheel, a hamster wheel that you kind of get on and you get off and it, it doesn't take you anywhere, really. Um, I think it doesn't mean anything. If, if, I, if I'm perfectly honest with you, and we can be frank on this call, on this call in the session, I, I'm yet to see a lead scoring model that has been, because people take hours and, you know, weeks and months, you know, coming up with the initial, you know, framework and then tweaking it as you go along that actually leads to conversion. Conversion being a sale at the end or like a discovery or like a sales qualified opportunity, however you want to kind of qualify it. And I think that is the goal of marketing. The goal of marketing is to help increase the revenue of the business, not sales, but to help do whatever it can to raise awareness of the brand, to create demand for the brand, to create an affinity with the brand that people want to be involved and engaged with them. That, that when sales kind of come in and do their bit, it's, it's, an, it's an easier sell to make. And I think it's really, really hard to understand or get into the head of the customer when it comes to creating a lead scoring model that makes sense and is scalable. Every time I've created one or worked in one or worked with one, the parameters always have to shift and have to change. You know, Is a page view really important? Is a webinar download really important? The fact that this uh, white paper has been read three times, what does that actually mean? And, you know, they still not got in contact with us because at the end of the day, you know, you're doing all of this lead scoring, ideally to get to the point where you pass it on to sales. But what you really, really want is someone to finally say, okay, actually, I want to speak to someone and learn more about your product. Let me please book a demo. And so, I mean, people will definitely say that they've seen that work and I'm sure it does work. But I think in the grand scheme of if you're doing it to get to a certain score to then pass it on to sales, how many sales reps or SDRs do you have to be chasing thousands and thousands of leads? And that's where it doesn't become 
scalable. And that's where you can then run into problems. And that's where you're hitting your marketing metrics. And therefore you can kind of like justify, um, you know, spend because you've now got all of these leads, but how many of these leads are any good? How many of them actually convert to actual sales? And if they are converting to sales, how long is it taking and how much of your team's time and how much of sales time is it taking for them to convert? Because what we really want to be doing is be doing things in a way that's quick, <laughs> in a way that's easy and in a way that can scale in a way that doesn't require like lots more manpower and effort and um, and time. So that's what I would that's what I would say about the scoring. And we're not doing it now currently because, it, again, it's, it's literally based on what I'm trying to do is is tell the story, tell the the, the life of, of a person who uses our tool and uses our platform, showing that we understand the challenges and the pain points, providing opportunity for people to kind of get together and to converse and have that be what then makes them say, okay, actually, I want to learn more about you specifically and, and how you work and how you can help us. So MQLs and lead scoring in and of itself can potentially create the wrong incentives if you're uh, not too careful. Absolutely. And I think and I think that's the thing. And, you know, every organization is, is different. I think it's very easy to get MQLs. It's it's super easy to get every MQLs. Every marketing tech platform that sort of specializes in any automation platform, like it's, it's set up, you know, paid platform, um, paid ads platform, sorry, it's set up to be able to get you MQLs in the flick of a button. But what are they? And are they qualifiable? And do they do things? And, and people as well are starting to kind of get more savvy with the types of things. They know that they're being sold to when they see download a free white paper on XYZ. And so, you know, are people people aren't even downloading them as much because they, they they know what they're they're getting with it and they'd rather go elsewhere. So on the one hand, it's easy to get the leads because it's like if you're buying a list, you can get lists. <laughs> you can get names of people, but are they any good? Do they really bring value? Do they convert at more than I don't know, 15, 20%? They're not converting at more than 15, 20%. It's it's not worth the time. I had a client a long time ago. They've since pivoted, thankfully. <laughs> when I first worked with them, they had a list of 50,000 people worldwide. And they were so happy because they were like, we have this list and we didn't have to pay for it. And we were just building it over time. And now we're really ready to send out campaigns that can convert them. And then within two months, they realized that less than 1% of people were even opening up the emails that were sent to them. And then they were wondering, why is that the case? And it's not unique to just them. A lot of businesses in the B2B space are just focused on list growth mm. and qualifying list over time, mm-hmm. but not necessarily thinking about like, how are we taking a, if I, if we can, how are we taking a high touch approach to each member of that list to actually see if a sales opportunity is going to be made here? How are we mm-hmm. building that demand over time, mm-hmm. truly building that demand mm-hmm. and, and measuring mm-hmm. it in different ways than mm-hmm. just, oh, our list is growing. Absolutely. And and B2C do this really well. <laughs> they have like nailed, well, not everyone, but, you know, a lot of people, fashion in particular, I'll take fashion and, you know, maybe like some beverages, but fashion have done so well at tapping, being able to like tap into the, almost like you, you put on a new cloak of, or you enhance yourself, or you put on a new cloak when you take, when you take this, you know, product or whatever it is, this dress or these these shoes or these whatever. And they do a really good job of like honing in on that uniqueness of their product, which makes it resonate with you. Uh, and we don't do that in B2B. And, you know, you won't see fashion brands like buying span lists, you know, buying lists of, of names. And, and that's just the thing, because I get 
you'll be amazed, or maybe not, depending on who's listening to this, how many LinkedIn messages and emails I get. And even when I'm opening them, it's to either it's to unsubscribe or, you know, I've seen like the snippet at the top. I'm like, oh, this is so bad. Let me see what more is in here. <laughs> it's not a real like marker of anything. So so yeah, definitely like buying lists is not is not the way to go. Rather like build organically if you can slowly, but you know, you'll have a you'll have a much more engaged audience if you do it that way. What's been your general approach for building out your marketing team? Hmm, good question. <laughs> Starting with demand, I think. That's the that's the key. Um I in our current role we have it we have an in-house designer. Um so it, it's fine, but design obviously having a design team as well to kind of like create stuff to to kind of like piece stuff together and make it look good. If you don't have a design team, we also use Fiverr a lot because our design team, you know, it, it currently consists of one. <laughs> so spending time on um finding out where you can outsource to and then knowing what's a what's a good company or good person to outsource to is, is really key. So building a demand team, someone who knows how to kind of like get your content out there, someone who knows how to package the content nicely so that it, it then resonates or, or helps at least catch people's eyes so that they then um, look to what you have to share. Having someone who can also focus on creating the content <laughs> or like writing the content, I think that's like a really kind of key person to have. And then sort of more secondary to that would then be someone who can set up the protocols and the processes in place, like an ops person to start to monitor and to measure, just uptake, not again from like a form fills perspective, but like how it's being consumed, like how it's translating. So whether it's, a, you know, an ops or an analyst person to look at ads are being consumed or videos viewed on the site. Um, and then I always also think um, sort of fourth person is to have another like marketing generalist around <laughs> who can kind of do a little bit of everything, a bit of social if there's events to be done. Um, because again, that kind of like helps tie together uh, and is also a good um, uh, almost deputy to the head of um, in any team. Um, so, yeah, so those kind of three or four roles, I think, are, are quite key for um, for starting out. Yeah, and I think that last role is very important. I I kind of like analogize the deputy generalist as like the plumber, if you will, that just basically yeah. plugs in any of the holes that needs to get fixed. Now, I am mindful of your time, so I only have two more questions for you. No when it comes to the C-suite level and you're head of marketing, you have a big responsibility and you have that seat at the table, what does the CEO care about when it comes to marketing and how do you manage managing up revenue <laughs> revenue generated honestly that is the key thing that at, at that level when you're going to what people care about is money and how much is the business making and everybody that's at that table whether it's hr whether it's marketing whether it's product whether it's finance whether it's tech whatever how is your area helping our business make money not like you know influence making money so not like mqls and stuff they want to know okay how much of the pipeline has been driven by marketing like what's the actual number metric and this kind of goes back a little bit to what i was saying before as to why i wanted to be like a marketing generalist because i think it's really key and important to know and understand every area of the business that you work in and you sit in. I also work really closely with the, the team that, that handles recruitment at pay because, again, the whole 
life at and and how we do things and how we approach things is an, is an extension of our brand and thereby an extension of our customer success team and thereby an extension of how we do business so everything is kind of synced and linked up exactly the same thing with product you know this is what we're building but how is it actually aligning to what the market needs what the market wants or what the market should have and that they don't know yet and then the same with finance as well you know you know this is my budget this is what I think that we need to be able to achieve these goals and then to drive the pipeline and then ultimately to drive the sales so definitely numbers it's all about the numbers and how marketing has contributed to the the, the PNL at the end of the day is really key my last question for you Christina is hypothetical because time machines don't exist but if they did and you can go back in time about 10 years into the past knowing everything you know today how would you specifically accelerate the speed of your career? I would spend less time doubting myself <laughs> and showing that I can do. I think I think that's a key for for for, for many people. I um I, I probably think I feel like super old saying this, but I feel like Gen Z has got a, a bit of a better handle on the knowledge of being able to execute their knowledge and their contribution to whatever team that they're in and, and, and they sit in. But I would have definitely done that more. My, my kind of approach and mindset that I am um, like walking in now is kind of always what I've had, but it wasn't until like maybe like five or six years ago that I started walking in, walking in this. Um, and I think I'd have definitely loved to, to exercise that a lot more earlier. I mean, as I said, when we, we started this, this conversation, my, my first role in my first company after university was in sales. And then I kind of created this role for myself as, as international campaigns manager, which was great. And then after that, I kind of like got a bit, Ooh. <laughs> you know, you lost your, you lose your way a little bit in the way, you know, I continued my marketing career and, I, and I've obviously, you know, continued to progress as well, but that fire and that hunger that I had then, uh, and then I have even more now and um, just, just, just keep going with it all the way through. Perfect. Now, Christina, if anyone wanted to say hello to you online, where could they find you? I'm on LinkedIn. So yeah, Christina Patrick on LinkedIn is the best way to get in touch. Uh, Any questions anyone has about anything marketing related, life in the UK, B2B in the UK, which is the same as B2B everywhere, actually. Um, And my thoughts on on it, then yeah, just just reach out and I'd be happy to have the conversation. Perfect. And we'll put your uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes for anyone who's interested. And again, thank you for your time today. And thank you for just answering all these amazing questions that we had planned for you. Now, also for the listeners who are listening, please rate us on Apple and Spotify. We're trying to get more discovery on both of those channels. And if you have been listening to any of these episodes, hopefully you've liked them and we want to hear from you. So give us a, a four or five star review if possible. But five, we'll take five, five star. <laughs> yeah, that would be ideal. And thank you again, Christina. And thank you to the listener for listening to another episode of the People Digital Marketing Podcast. And as always, I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for having me. For my next guest, I have JD Dillon, the CMO of the renewable energy upstart Tygo Energy. In that interview that comes out next week, we talk about what does it mean to be a successful CMO? Can a marketer do sales and marketing at the same time? What are some old school practices that still work today and much, much more. So it's kind of like another part two, if you will, on the theme of B2B marketing. So if you like this episode, definitely subscribe. And again, thanks for listening.
Hey, thanks again for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to submit a rating and leave a review on your podcasting app. Reviews like this help to grow this podcast and get it to more people like yourself. People who want to grow in their marketing careers. If you want to say hello, you can find me on any social media platform by simply searching Kenny Soto. I look forward to hearing from you soon. And as always, let's keep growing together.